Christians are a people, a race set apart. We are the people of faith. We are not those of the flesh and indeed we are a people set apart. If we are the people of the faith and not those of the flesh, then there are two distinct groups of people. But if we believe this is true, we need to understand where the division between faith and flesh is. The understanding that there are two groups is only a beginning. The assertion that two groups exist gives new meaning to the phrase, where do we draw the line? For a line must be drawn. We may as well say there is only one race of human beings and leave it at that, if we cannot say who belongs to which class. If we have to ask a person which group they belong to, we are not dealing with genuine classes of things. If we cannot tell one group from the other or the membership of a person, the classification is subjective. However, if our classification is based on irrelevant attributes such as the color of a person's skin, the end result will be a confusion greater than what it was before we tried to classify the two groups. Too many people like the idea of science until it interferes with their subjectivity. People pay lip service to objectivity until the process conflicts with their social agenda. Faith and flesh are not subjective appellations in the way the ideas of a political right and left are. We have to fulfill certain conditions to be part of the church. Christianity is not defined by our likes. The church has doors. Not physical ones, conceptual ones. There are entry requirements to become part of the body of Christ. There are criteria one has to fulfill. What the Bible calls the flesh has been given different appellations over the years by those of the flesh, but the Bible associates the people of the flesh with Babylon. Modern manifestations of Babylon are liberalism, secularism, and ethics. The key feature of the liberal system is the formation of laws and the regulation of human activity by means of rules. Laws govern the physical elements including those of the flesh. This is something associated with Babylon. Anytime you see rules being touted as a guide to human behavior, you know you are speaking to a Babylonian. We will always find that liberals, by means of a regulatory framework, attempt to put you in or under an ethical system to control you. All ethical systems are part of the liberal system and everything under the ideology of liberalism is rule-based. If you agree to a law or support a regulation, let alone a regulatory body or framework, you are a Babylonian. Rules are nothing more than opinions made by a person with the authority to enforce them. Rules made without the ability to enforce them remain nothing more than opinion. The other feature of a liberal system, other than the imposition of an ethical system, is the power to enforce the rules. Even sororities know this. A sorority would not exist without the rule makers and the enforcers who ensure the rules of the sorority are followed. Liberal institutions are rule-making organizations that differ from each other because of the kinds of rules they create. However, enforcement requires man-hours to be spent on enforcement, and this necessitates access to resources to pay for this work to be done. So, enforcement has to be supplemented with logistics, or a way to funnel the needed resources to the support group. The enforcement function and the regulatory function must include as a central feature a logistical element.
there must be laws directed at funding the regulatory body. The laws of the regulatory state and the activities of enforcement unit become focused on extorting wealth from the ones under the law. In this sense, the law and the regulatory authority of the state are a system for the funding of the lawmaking, regulatory body and the things required for its support. Babylon and creating legal entities create idols or human-formed beasts intent on their own survival. The state issues laws that justify the extortion of the state. In this sense the state is a scam perpetuated on its subjects, but the state in turn justifies those who are running their own scams. A sovereign citizen is unregulated and does not regulate, in this sense a sovereign citizen is a unit of the market. He or she sustains him or herself by means of his or her own abilities. The market streamlines the productivity of sovereign citizens. The spirit is the market, and the market is a correlate of the spirit. There is no clear distinction between them and no way to divide them. If a person is of the spirit, he will be attracted to the mechanisms of the market. This is a natural feature of a saved person. No one who is saved and who is living in the spirit will turn his back on the market to promote and defend the regulatory state. This poses a problem for the Christian who lives in and may well support the Babylonian liberal system with its public services and welfare state. The young Christian may be attracted to the idea of social benefits and support the various public benefits offered by the state. But this is not an attitude shared by a mature believer. This is why we see people becoming more conservative, with age. This divide between faith and flesh is often manifested as an age gap between the youth who tends to be progressive in the liberal sense and who in later years, is likely to have become more conservative. But these petty disagreements between flesh and spirit can be settled with an election, or so some believe. But the problem is, these fractures in the social structure, are indications of a fragile system that is about to implode. It is at root a pyramid scheme that is losing credibility. Fundamental issues are not being addressed, because the issue is buried under the lies and promises of a pyramid scam. The media attacks fake news and far-right agendas to make it seem as if this is where the problem is. The problem is in the very structure of the liberal system. Christians are taking the bait and supporting things like Mega and the Proud Boys, and they favor outlets such as Rebel News, because the media is telling us this is where opposition to the state is. But all of this is controlled opposition, and this is not what the devil fears. But we cannot know where the line between good and evil is until we fully understand what is meant by being in the flesh and living in the spirit. Being conservative does not mean we are living in the spirit. Naturally, atheists will associate the events in the Garden of Eden to man becoming atheist, that is, a people who operate independent of the knowledge of God. Man, atheists claim, can know good and be morally independent of God. But that is not the issue. Good and evil as per Eden is not about knowledge per se, but about the consequences of assuming the authority of God. If one knows good from evil one is the standard. Knowledge cannot come without authority. We often associate this assumption of authority with being as God, and this is not wrong. However, 
to look at the power of God alone does not give us a clear understanding of what is being told us here. God is the only true source of moral truth that is not debatable. But the Bible also tells us that it is who the church binds on earth who is bound in heaven, and it is who is loosed on earth by the church who is loosed in heaven. There is authority given to the church. In one sense the atheist takes over the role of God but in another, he actually and more correctly, takes over the role of the church. This is why this battle we call the battle of good and evil is best understood as the battle between the church and the state. The church is not the individual and it is not the individual who gets to decide if someone is good or evil. It is certainly not the individual who gets to market himself as good. At the same time, the mob is just a group of individuals. To determine who is good requires more than personal opinion. This is why God ordained the market, it is why the market exists and why the state cannot replace it, try as it may. Yet, it has to be appreciated that when God talks of Babylon, he is speaking of something that opposes him. The Bible calls Babylon a city, but we know the term means more than what is meant when we speak of a conventional city. Regardless of what Babylon might be, we know the state is not the church. To build a nation or a city, a portion of the earth must be claimed. Where this happens and what size this portion is, is directly proportional to the relative power of the group making the claim. If there is strong opposition, there will be less land claimed. If the opposition is light, then larger swaths of land can and will be claimed. When whites were at the height of their power, it took little more than a ship landing on a beach, for continents, islands and large territories to be claimed in the name of the captain's sovereign. Christians, unlike those under the law, are people who trust one another. If trust is warranted, we do not need the state. We do not need regulations. Living in faith gives us a people divorced from the law, dealing directly with one another in the market. A free market has no regulations. The state cannot regulate the market. The market is not a part of the state and is an abstraction. The state regulates the entities that by their activity produce a false or market or Babylon. The market is produced by economic exchanges, but the kind of market the exchanges produce is determined by the medium through which the exchanges happen, that is, the monetary system. The market of the faithful produces a free market or church and the market of the state produces Babylon which is the market of the flesh. It is the market that produces the nation. It is the monetary system used that defines the market. The nature of the nation is dependent on the nature of the market, which is determined by the monetary system in use. It is out of the monetary system that we get either Babylon or Apologia. Apologia is the city of faith. To create Apologia requires a new monetary system. The market cannot create a new city using the old tools. Markets need to be capitalized, but by what means? if all we have are the old tools given to us by the state? If we set up a market using the tools given to us by the state, we end up with a social service not an actual business. A social service is an organization that reflects the priorities and policies of the state. 
A modern business is apostate. This is based on the fact that the monetary system of the state is created by regulation to reflect the needs of the state. The conventional market is developed by private interests, but they do this within a public framework. The market as we know it is something designed to promote the interests and policies of the state. Either your private organization is in line with the mandate of the state, or it is disadvantaged. Possibly we begin to see the depth of the problem the faithful are faced with. The state cannot create monetary policy inimical to itself, nor will it design a monetary system that does not reflect its political needs. Therefore, how is it possible for the church and state to be irreconcilable and yet both use the same market, the same money in the same economy? Banks and businesses regulated by the state cannot produce a monetary system that alienates them from the state. Their regulations do not permit it. To birth a Christian nation requires a faith-based system and this includes the monetary system we use. If our currency causes us to distrust and fear one another, we cannot be living in faith. If you create a work of art and I steal it, you have lost its value and I have gained it. But this also happens if I give you a check that cannot be cashed or bank note that inflates, I have still robbed you of value that belonged to you. But what if the state is printing and spending large amounts of money? This not only takes value out of the market but inflates prices while taxing us more and more. Is there not always an undercurrent of fear in the market and a large degree of uncertainty in our dealings with each other? The regulatory state cannot just control us, it has to separate us. The system instills fear and uncertainty at the same time it regulates to control. To build apologia we must build on a foundation of faith. There is no other place to start than with believers. A nation of faith has to be built on faith and so the crucial foundation is Christ. This might seem as if we are making a mountain out of a molehill, but it is this first step that is the hardest and most crucial. The question always is, how do we find people of faith to build the city of faith or church, when Christ himself questioned the possibility of finding anyone of faith when he returns? The Bible has always associated a lack of faith with a faith or reliance on property. If we do not trust God, then we amass property. If we reject the authority of God, we seek the power that comes with the ownership of property. The two are inseparable. The unbeliever cannot lack faith without challenging the power and authority of God. Man cannot acquire property and power without losing faith in God. This is how reality is constructed. But the converse is also true. If we want to have faith, there must be a divestment of property. Divestment builds up faith, this is why Christ instructed the rich young man to sell all he had. It has often been observed how ill-suited humans are for life on this planet. Yet, of all creatures, human ought to be the most adapted, were evolution true. It may seem as we have just taken a turn down an unrelated issue, but the fact that we are not of this world, means we must create and live in something that is artificial, and man-made. Thus, our human biology forces us to choose whether we will create Babylon or Apologia. The need to process the things of nature to turn them into consumables may seem normal to us modern people, 
but it poses a serious problem for us. Unlike animals, we are not just forced to be social, because there are many social animals, we are required to be social in a complex way. We need to be social within a market environment. There's an effort on the part of some of us to try and duplicate the situation of social insects. Some regulators wish to standardize the different roles we play. Even if this might work in a limited way, to benefit fully from our human nature, we need to unleash the potential we have at the individual level. Tyranny works if one only wants order. Tyranny fails spectacularly if one wants a civilization. We see that tyranny, the more absolute it is, controls more property more completely and ultimately it regulates everyone dependent on the property it controls. It is not a matter of if you wish to eat you must work, it is if you wish to eat you must work at what we tell you for as long as we tell you. The person who owns nothing has no power. But we need to rethink what ownership of property means. As it stands, there are two models of ownership, the public and private models. Both models are self-validating. In a regulated environment, if one owns property, one has the authority to control access to it. But in a regulated environment which means a nation with laws, one never fully owns property. The state always maintains a lien on all property through taxation laws, zoning laws, and use laws both regarding overt and covert use. One cannot use a knife to kill anyone but one cannot use a baseball bat or screwdriver either. The state has a monopoly on power. The exercise of monopoly power justifies the power of the state over its subjects. Might makes right is the creed of all governments and owners of property. However, logic tells us that if we did not create it, we cannot own it. It is easy to take property away from those who lack the resources to defend it, when ownership is based solely on the exercise of power. The right to own, in this world, is based on the ability to inflict harm onto anyone who opposes your claim. The authority with the most power ends up owning the most property, and the reverse is also true. Apologia is born in faith as an exercise in faith. Apologia is a light to the world in that it shows the world that we can have faith. Faith is trust and trust requires shedding all ownership claims to what is owned by God. We cannot own physical property because the ownership of property indicates a lack of faith, we own only the value we add to what God created. The confiscation of property can only be done under the law, this may not be articulated or codified but the law validates the seizure. Might makes right in the end justifies the means, is the dual doctrine of power and is behind all religious or legal systems. Because the law is nothing without property and property is not possible without the law to validate the ownership claim. But apologia is not a religious theocracy, because it does not operate on the basis of law. Apologia is a faith or church. It is also an experiment in that it demonstrates the validity of the God hypothesis. All religious systems are law-based, and all law-based systems are ultimately a theocracy, the church is not a theocracy as the church is a life grounded in faith. The building of apologia is not about physical buildings it is about building on a solid foundation of faith. 
science makes law redundant, the law is not for the righteous but for evil. The law does not make people good. The law is designed to contain evil in a conceptual box called the state. Law constrains evil and regulates it but does not eliminate it. The law is little more than a gang leader setting out the rules for those who wish to be in his gang. Those who join a gang seek the protection of numbers because they cannot defend themselves by themselves. There is little difference between a gang, a militia, a tribe or faction and a nation other than the numbers and property the leader controls. The city-state becomes subsumed under the national state when it can no longer guarantee its own safety. But let's deconstruct the liberal narrative. Unfortunately, so many of us have taken the liberal reality as the natural state of man, but it is artificial. Liberal society has a beginning, and its history is a consequence of the foundation on which it was constructed. Liberalism began in Eden. The liberal reality was formed upon the ejection of the liberal narrative from Eden. In other words, liberalism began when the first liberals were divided from the Word of God as represented by Eden. And liberalism has continued to this day. The church, such as it is, was constructed in Babylon and has always been regulated by Babylon, which is the old name for the liberal system. Christians are living in Babylon. Our church is the result of the biblical model being modified to make it compatible with the liberal system. Christians underestimate the problem of sin. They underestimate how much it impacts them. Christians have assumed the church can be reformed by making it more or less liberal, depending on the politics of the Christian. The problem is not the degree to which the church is liberal. Making the church a conservative institution does not solve the problem of sin. The problem is the system the church is in that validates sin. The problem is less about the church being in a liberal environment than about the liberal system itself. Liberalism and the church cannot be nested in one another, they are co-equal but opposite options. Another way of seeing the problem is to see it as the problem of the church and state. If we equate liberalism with the state, then any church that has reconciled itself with the state has modified its parameters to make room for sin. The problem, from this angle, is not the relationship that exists between church and state, it is the state's existence. So long as the state exists the church will have to reconcile itself to it, to some degree, and this means making a deal with the devil. The church and state need to be separate but not as uneasy social partners. The division must be the one that exists between moral enemies. There are no grounds on which church and state can reconcile, one has to be defeated by the other. If we can grasp the enormity of the problem, then it is obvious that the solution to the problem of Babylon is to return, at least conceptually, to Eden. To be reborn in Christ we need to abdicate our kinship to the first Adam. This is not just about pledging allegiance to Christ. We have to leave the house of our first father. This is the liberal system. We entered liberalism by way of an illicit claim on what does not belong to us. We enter the church by reneging on these claims, by revoking or abandoning these claims. This requires we divest ourselves of all illegally obtained property. 
that means we must divest ourselves of all assets because all assets belong to God. But then the question becomes how to do this. We cannot just move off of or away from earth. We are compelled to care for the things of God because we are totally dependent on the things of God. But we must not be unequally yoked with the unbeliever. We cannot end up being the only one being stewards of the earth while liberals share in the benefits. So, there are three things to consider. Christians must divest ourselves of assets. Christians cannot cease being stewards of the earth. Christians must prevent themselves becoming unequally yoked with unbelievers. We cannot own or protect assets privately without the oversight and regulation of the public sector. Private owners are dependent on the regulatory power of the state. By attempting to own property that is not ours, Christians have invited the devil into the church. Human beings are dependent on the things of God. But until the things of nature are processed, we cannot use most of it. Mankind cannot even survive in a state of nature. A human being to survive needs an artificial environment of his own creation. We have to engage in work to process the natural into something more suited to human needs. This puts us at risk because we invest our labor in things which may not benefit us. The more we distrust each other the less we are willing to risk. Many times, our ancestors would prepare fields and plant only to have the increase stolen or destroyed. Some groups found ways to reduce the risk or minimize it, others simply adapted to the risk by minimizing their exposure. Building the church is as much about tearing down the state and its regulatory power over the church as it is about doing positive things for the church. So long as our wealth and the wealth-creating power of our labor is taxable by the state, the church will continue to be nothing more than buildings and clients instead of what it is, a sovereign nation under God.